Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to a brand new edition of Freedom Books, Flowers and the Moon, the podcast brought to you each week by the Times Literary Supplement. My name is Stig Abel and I am the editor of the TLS. Back alongside me is professional vacationer Thea Lenarduzzi. Thea, hello. Hello. I believe you were away recently yeah. for exactly the same amount of time. We dealt with Hawaiian pizzas. Lucy was here. I Lucy's don't know if again. you did, you know. Hello. Hello. I think we did. Yeah. I think we did. Lucy, I, Lucy, I, fe- I felt that Lucy offered some degree of support for the Hawaiian Well, you pizza. offered... You said that you used to enjoy them, yeah. Lucy, which implies you that you, you did as a child. You so. to the Your childish tastes. No, and I'm afraid <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in, I have to be honest and admit that it wasn't just as a child. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, probably each like to one their one own. Now. David Horsman and Toby Listigan, so we, we always have a quorum. Actually, Hawaiian yes or no? Yes, Toby Listig. Really, Toby? Yeah, Toby Jumping the gun there yeah. as well. You yeah. just couldn't wait. Yeah, you David just had can, to put that on record. David, David Horsepool? <laughs> no. We also had uh, a tweet from someone, Thea, who actually lived on a volcano in Hawaii, which was yeah. cool, I felt. Uh, please do keep your exotic or mundane locations where you listen to this show. You can tweet us at the TLS or email, if for good reason you find Twitter a hellish platform of objectionable narcissism. Uh, lots of people have been tweeting from Auckland, Baton Rouge, Cape Town, and we've had some emails as well. Thea, you've had one from John Langridge, I yes, believe. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, I'm going to read it. Okay, so he says, uh, I'm a bit of a traveller, uh, which is understating things rather, uh, and apart from my fishing gear, I also take my tablet with me so that I have listened to you in Rapa Nui, otherwise known as Easter Island, the highlands of Lesotho, Alice Springs, where I fished the completely dry River Todd, which boggles the mind, rather. Uh, dry and, fishing. And, and la- I don't know what that is. No. No. Well, you anyway. Just, you, just, you just pick them up when they've... Well, yeah. Just stones and dead, dead fish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mudlarking. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. easy fishing, I think. It's just you wait till the fish have no water and are dead and you pick them up. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I also, and also uh, Lassa, in a monastery called Gandan, where he says, I listened to you at 5,000 metres in a monk's cell that smelled dramatically of yak because of the yak bedspread, yak wax candle, dried yak meat, like biltong, and yak tea. Yeah, I've been there. No, it's Quite nice. yaky. Yak tea. No, I have no, no, I haven't been there. I, 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 I would haven't. drink some yak tea. So, can we beat that? Then that's a, a good question. Do do tweet us if you can go more exotic than that. David Christensen emailed me as well with a photo of the exact centre of Canada. 
<laughs> what? He did. No, that's why. That's why he was listening to us, and he oh, said, he said this, which is, I think, unimprovable. It's a bit flat, as they say around these parts. My dog ran away two days ago, and I can still see him going. Brilliant. I'd stopped yeah. here for lunch and spent a pleasant hour listening to the podcast. So there you go. Uh, I mean, email me stig.able at the-tls.co.uk or tweet us and we will continue to hear where you're listening from. Um, if, like David, you want to be a subscriber, he's a digital subscriber in Canada. We've got a cheap deal for you. If you live in the US or Canada, the centre or the margins, go to podcast.the-tls.com. That's podcast.the-tls.com. And if you live anywhere else, including the UK, then go to the tls .co.uk forward slash pod 19. You'll get five issues for just £5 or $5. This week, it's the summer book special of the TLS. We'll talk about our contributors' idea of a good summer read and all our owners. As you know, we're joined by a veritable disparagement of TLS editors in the studio. That's the collective noun I'm going for. It's very rude. (laughs) Not for anyone who spent any time in the TLS offices. They would nod vigorously, I'd have thought. Uh, And we might also talk about Midsummer Night's Dream as well, Lucy, if we get a chance. Yes, let's do that, yeah. Lovely. Can I start by saying that summer is a terrible time for reading books? It's often too hot. Beaches are not comfortable places for reading. It's full of sand, wind, sea, suntan lotion, and you cannot read books, I don't think, lying flat on your back. Do we all agree with that? Yes. I don't. Have you developed a comfortable yeah. position of reading? What do yeah. you do? Do you do anything where you hold the book up so it can no, obscures no, the sun? No, because tired the, your arms, arms exactly, tired the lactic arms. acid or whatever it is. No, you, so you, you form a pillow out of sand or shingle. Mm-hmm. It's less easy on a, on a rocky beach. Shingle and pillow then, doesn't sound very and comfortable, then you, So it? you pad that all out and then you put your towel over that so that will prop your head up. Yeah. So that then you can sort of stare towards your navel yes. where you then prop the book on your sort of groin area. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Would you like to show us? Yeah. I could yeah. do, I could do, but there's no sound or shingle. It's, yeah. it's, it's good for podcasts, I think, if you would <laughs> Listen, just show us yes. what it looks like. Yeah. Oh, look, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I no, see. Yeah, it makes yeah, sense now, doesn't it? it? And then you just do this. I never knew Thea was going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, so there you go. That's Thea's given. I still don't believe. I don't like the. I like, I like sitting in a room to read. I don't like sitting. Take an umbrella. I like that. All right, I can't sit in this. Well, one of our one of our contributors retreats to the dark woods. Yeah, Seamus Perry. Yeah, I yeah. prefer dark woods to sun-kissed beaches. I agree with him. What we've done anyway in the paper is we've asked people who write for the TLS what they plan to read this summer, and the answers vary from the incredible to the scarcely credible. We might get to that. Uh, in the studio, we have our collective noun of TLS editors, Lucy Dallas, Northern Arts editor, Toby Lichtig, sporadic fiction editor, and David Horsball, right-wing history editor. Hello. <laughs> Thank You're you so dubious. much for describing me like that. It's I, not true. You vote, you vote green, don't you? Uh, I, it's, that's between me and the voting booth, <laughs> yes. I believe. I believe it is a secret ballot. Fine. Um, I have been described as both right-wing and left-wing, depending on who's doing the reading, so I must yes. be doing something right. Uh, exactly right. That's the whole BBC defence. Uh, so the rules we're going to do first, before we get to our own summit recommendations, we're going to pick a contributor from the paper this week whose suitcase we would like to steal for our own reading pleasure. 
uh, because they've recommended such a collection of good books. I was struck by, you know, there's the issue in the literary world of log rolling. <laughs> yes. Are we all familiar? We everyone, do. everyone is familiar with that. Yeah, where people say, we are explain aware it. of it. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea is someone says, name a favourite book and you name your, your girlfriend's book or your publisher's big release, that, that issue. Paul Muldoon, the, one of the greatest living poets, I'm not sure it is log rolling if you're so overt about it. And he says, this summer I'm particularly looking forward to a few books by friends of mine that will, I'm certain, be scintillating. And his friends are Joseph O'Connor, who's got a great new novel, Shadow Play, Edna O'Brien, Kevin Barry, Colson Whitehead, Zadie Smith and Louise Doughty, who are all fairly significant it's names. And I'm pretty it, sure O'Brien and Zadie Smith's books, they're not even, even available yet in, in proof. So I think uh, he's obviously been given an advanced manuscript for those, I would imagine. Which is pretty... Is Grand Union the... is it her... is it historical... Novel. But Toby no. doesn't know, no one's seen it. I haven't seen it yet. I mean, because I, I read about that she's doing thing. a historical novel. I, no, I don't think it is actually. It's not that I think it's, it's non fiction. I think it's non fiction, but don't quote me on that. Because you don't know. You don't well, know. we don't like <laughs> to read that, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, but Toby's not sufficiently plugged in. Anyway, I thought that was good too. Uh, <laughs> Toby is no Paul, Paul Muldoon <laughs> when it comes to his literary connectedness. Um, there was just one tiny surprise for me, which is not really about choice, but it was it was um, in Jonathan Coe's entry when he talks about Philip Besson's Lie With Me, which he's going to take to the beach, in an English translation by the former Brat Pack actor Molly Ringwald. <gasps> yes! Now, I had no idea that Molly Ringwald was a translator from the French as well as a wonderful Brat Pack actor in films such and as Breakfast Club. Yeah, yes. I mean, she she's an Agonyant as well. I think she's lived there for ages. Oh, how wonderful. Mm. Yeah. And... Uh, her career, though, possibly as an actor, hasn't developed vastly since the Brat Pack era. Is that the issue? Um, well, shes I actually looked her up. She's been in several films and television shows. I mean, I don't think she's ever quite regained the heights of Breakfast Club, for example. I want to watch that with my kids. My kids are 10 and 7. Do we think it would... Too it, young. Do you think young. they're too young? Yeah. yeah. Why? They, they enjoyed Ferris Bueller's Day Off. 10's all right. I'm, I'm pretty sure I watched it when I was about 9 or 10. With yeah. my really? Old, I think it's really siblings. Yeah, but yes. what do they do that's that naughty? I mean, it's is it kind of fun it's naughty? It's swearing, isn't it? Yeah. I swear it's not a problem. We watched Dodgeball at the weekend. Oh, did you? With a yeah. seven-year-old? Yeah. Wow. They thought it was funny. And also yeah, a no, I mean, of, it is funny. There's a couple of Larry lines, but they just, I find with kids, they, they just don't, don't get them. They don't even, yeah. Their brain doesn't even touch touch them. They just, they, oh, I don't understand that, so it moves on. I used to listen to, a, um, sorry, I haven't a clue a lot with one of my boys, who was a great fan of it. And it's the um, Radio 4 show, which is astonishingly rude. Amazingly, not always, no. but sometimes amazingly rude. But the brilliant thing was, he just, he just wouldn't get it. It, it just wouldn't occur to him any of it and I'd snicker and he would look at me and I'd just go no it's okay don't, don't worry <laughs> and as he's got older unfortunately he gets more and more of the jokes yeah. my son I was uh, my, we had Jaws I took Jaws on holiday which you might get to later and my son picked it up and the first word he read uh, began with mother and ended okay. in er uh. uh. right. and he's like what's that and I was like really I'm quite laissez-faire about swearing. I said, you don't swear in front of something. Don't swear in front of your grandparents. Don't swear at school. But you know, I'm not that bothered about it. But I said, really, that do do not say that one in front of virtually anyone because they will be uh, very unhappy. Anyway, I think that's covered books, summer books. So we'll see you, you all next us week. You've stumped us all into silence. Yeah. I think. Then. I know. Uh, go on then. Who are we going to steal from? Who's going to go? David, go on. Steal, steal I, someone's luggage. I thought I'd steal. Uh, Ruth Skurr's luggage. TLS um, colleague. Uh, TLS, partly because, um, yeah, I could uh, steal up behind her and she wouldn't realise. Um, she has recommended uh, The Impeachers, The Trial of Andrew Johnson and the Dream of a Just Nation by Brenda Wineapple about President Johnson being 
impeach the accidental president after the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. And he was a terrible, terrible president, uh, a drunk. He, he, as she says, he ignored Congress, opposed civil rights. He, He basically tried to turn back the clock to before the Civil War, even though his side, in effect, had had won. He was a Republican president. Um, And this book sounds... What was he impeached for? Absolutely fascinating. I really can't tell you. So that's why I'd like to... um, This presumably will do well in Trump's America. Yes, I think he has been compared... Ever since I read uh, Ron Chernow's uh, book about Ulysses Grant, I've been interested in Andrew Johnson because he, he comes in between... Uh, Lincoln and Grant as the the president and uh, so he's a very fascinating character and Chernow writes about him very well and I know that Chernow's recommended this book as well, he's he's given it a sort of golden opinion so um, he sounds a very interesting character and yeah of course he's very reminiscent of someone closer to home as it were Who who launched his uh, leadership uh, He did, uh, about keeping America great Florida's now a Trump state he, was, he, uh, he wasn't to. concerned about uh, overlapping with the uh, British Tory party <laughs> debate. I imagine his numbers would have been significantly <laughs> down because of that, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Surely. Yeah. Let's not get into that. OK, um, someone else, go on. Someone else steal something. Uh, I would quite like to steal Muriel Zaggers. I wanted to steal Muriel oh, Zaggers, but go on. Sorry. No, go on. Well, she, well, she's reading Rebecca, which I'm, I'm in. I read this year for the first time. I'm not, I'm not, I now can't remember whether I've read it. It's brilliant. You've seen the film. No, I don't think it's I have. Have so you seen the film as well? I think I've read it. Yeah, it, it's also, it was pitched as a, what I find fascinating, it was pitched as a romantic novel and it's literally got no romance in it no. whatsoever. The only romance in it is really Mrs Danvers for the dead Rebecca. That's the only act of kind of pure love in the whole book. Everyone else is kind of awkward and awful. Stretching romance a bit as well, that, I think. Oh. <laughs> great, great gay icon, Mrs Danvers. Sure. I've never seen the film. Yeah. Is it good? Oh my amazing. gosh, it's amazing. It's one of my favourite films. Really? Hitchcock, yeah. It's yeah. extraordinary, yeah. I try not to... I, I'm not... I try... I, like, I don't watch Sherlock Holmes for... I like reading the books. I don't like... I don't oh, like the Sherlock Holmes. Is it Jeremy Brett, that series? Yeah. So and there's Basil, is there Basil Rathbone as well? Basil Rathbone. Basil Rathbone. Very good. <laughs> and the new one. Have you seen the new one? The new... The newish one. Well, the new know. film or the, no, the Benedict Mar- Cumberbatch. Benedict Cumberbatch, yeah. He's... Yeah, yeah it's pretty I good. Like it's not much ones. like Sherlock Holmes. I only like the old, really mannered, slightly odd ones. Ooh. I love the book. I reread the books every year, all the time. They're so good. My daughter's just getting into them as well, and they're just... They're so... They're so... They're so brilliant. Yeah, really. All right, so, so you're going to re... So you're gonna it's not Rebecca, actually. That's not why I'm... This is why I'm sitting here going, oh, I think I've read it. The one I'm interested in is the Ulipo... Oh. Um, oh yeah, that it. sounds Don't great. Groan, no. stick. I'm allowed to be interested in it. No, I love I love uh, Ulipo because I'd only ever heard of it uh, in at the TLS because Bob Potts, the managing editor, always talks about Ulipian constraints. He does. He? he does indeed. The, Which means it, well, it's the rules that we impose on ourselves. Because uh, she starts by talking about um, Georges Perec, who wrote, who did La Disparition, which is the the novel without an e. Um, which sounds, it, it was sort of, well, it wasn't a joke. It sounds like a joke, but it was done for serious reasons. Well, I have to say, I haven't read it, it into full disclosure. Because his parents disappeared in the Holocaust, mm, and yeah. so E is... It's like having the most so important like thing stripped out. De, uh, as in, of them. Yeah. That's amazing. And also, he, and, and it's like the most, cause it, because he is the most used letter, it's like having the most important the part of your yeah, yeah the heart of something by loss can you yeah can you survive without it how do you survive without it kind of thing um but ulipo generally is often quite jolly um not, it's, not it's, always because it's game playing generally is that right 
It's it, it, it's it's just yeah they they impose rules um, on their writing and they're not always obvious. Um, but the trick is to make the writing good without knowing what the rule is or having to be bound. So what are the other rules? Is it always a sort of lipogram, no E's or no A's or something? Uh, they're often quite mathsy. Um, well, you need to read. You need to read the book, don't you? You need to. Read I do. I do need to read the book. Well, there's also and, and also that it's not a set of rules. It's just that each member comes up with their own, and and you don't have to do it. It's just a sort of spirit of playfulness and yeah. to channel your creative. I totally get that because I, I, when you read a lot of modern poetry which has no rules in it, it often I think just reads like prose that's just been cut up. If you if you if you have a poetic style which is pretty common now, where you don't have forced you know rhyming positions or rhythms or whatever, I think that makes it's it's harder to it's harder to appreciate because it just everything reads like prose that's been artificially cut up. Yes, well you you have to make your own choices at, at every turn don't you and the thing about the Olympian rules is that you can make them significant do you see what I mean they can be st- statistically significant or you can as as we said about the E that, yeah. that was the, there was a deeply serious reason for doing it but they're not all serious I um, mean she was saying oh, she didn't realise that they're still going and, and they they still have I think it's still it's a I tried to go to one once yeah you have to be invited mm. um, and I think they're still I think you can go to some sort of public evenings in Paris every now and again where Ulipo still meet up and do things which is just so great you should go along you should I tried to once and I yeah I missed it but I would that is about the most French arty thing to do in the world isn't it go to a but it sounds pretentious but it's it's really good fun Mm. a lot of it could we not could you not try and go and write about it well that's what I'm thinking yeah how do you do that you pay for my train fare and I go to Paris and write about it. <laughs> Let's do that. Brilliant. And you take me, of course. Okay, no, the, yeah, no, 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 no. That sounds like a jolly. Anyone else? Yeah. David and Toby interested in Definitely. Yeah. Uh, that's good. Go on. Another one? Another? Um, well, Toby. Andrew Motion has chosen a book that I was going to take with me anyway, so uh, I don't know whether there's any point in pilfering his bag because I own it. Um, but I'm going to I'm going to do which, it. So, which from one? so it's the Uninhabitable Earth by Davis Wallace Wells, which is about climate change. Um, which, along with lots of other people, this year I have become increasingly obsessed with. Um, it grew out of this article that, that the author wrote for the New, New York Magazine a couple of years ago, and it, it got quite a lot of stick. It's oh, incredibly it was, alarmed. It was too catastrophic, it wasn't was it? It was too, in, in inverted commas, catastrophic. Yeah. And lots of people, including concerned climate scientists, said there's no point in being so catastrophic about it because it's just going to scare people into inaction. For me, I'm finding that fear is more of a driver to action, not, not, not that I'm, you know doing an awful lot to change change the world but it, it's I, I, I find that, that that fear is is at least getting me thinking about stuff and he, he then turned this article which is quite long already I think it's about 7,000 words into a book and I think he doubles down on his alarmism in we've it. Had we've we had a review we had a review in it, it yes yeah. um, uh, Alice Atley reviewed it for us last month um, but I'm interested in the debate about about where yeah. where you pitch these things as much as anything and else. we had that oddly optimistic paper a couple of weeks ago didn't we where Naomi Klein yeah and we had Joseph Stiglitz yeah, as well and, they were weird, and that, I found them too optimistic I didn't buy it at all because you know you could look at say the green performance in the European elections oh the greens are doing quite well this argument that um the green new deal is going to work because people have had people are in such economic difficulties that they'll go for such a significant change which will fix both economy and environment in one fell swoop I think it was for me that issue was very persuasive on on the lines of this is what we need to do this is how to fix it and 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 reducing inequality and tackling climate change are 
linked they're not different things i feel slightly less optimistic about whether we are able to do that and whether, yeah. but but also as we see trump you know trump announces last night he could well be up against joe biden now joe biden i'm sure will have environmental credentials of sorts but he's not going to be running on a ticket he's gonna be running on a centrist ticket which is don't shake things up too much yeah he might well lose in which way he's yet trump for four more years in, in which case, this is all kind of, you know, we, we, we had the Tory party leadership there. There may, been, may or may not be a general election. If there is, the Tories may scrape together, they may not. Yeah, absolutely. And, we, and, and, you know, everyone's trumpeting sort of 12 years at the moment. That seems to be the, the, the figure that lots of scientists are hitting on. We have 12 years to sort this out. I mean, I'm sure it's, it's a, a fairly spurious figure. But, but yeah, it's, it's not like we have 50 years to sort have it out. Have any of us so, ever read a good climate Yes. So, so I, I read a book last month called Falter by Bill McKibben, which we're going to be covering later this summer and it's but it's both about climate change and ai but it's it's very lucid it's very it's both alarmist but there is a bit of optimism in it um what's that classic book um and carson um uh, silent spring Spring. yeah i've never read that i'm reading that later this year right does anyone ever read that that's that's supposed to be the the, uh, text for the environmental thing that's one of my books i'm going to be reading uh uh, this summer so maybe it's maybe this is a moment does this feel like a moment well, to me, it feels like another moment in which we're all talking about it again. But I mean, if the political will isn't there and the political will seems to be there a little bit in China, but you can't tell, um, you can't sort of put much pressure on the Chinese. They'll do what they want to do, as you know they do to their population. And obviously, we know, as we've just been saying about what's happening in America, and those are the, the two biggest polluters, and then India will become one of the biggest so i think in within the eu and the, the british seem to be want to keep in step with that they said fine things 2050 yeah but well wanting to expand heathrow etc mm. um yeah. so yeah it's i think it is to do with political will um we're talking about it more, aren't we? That, that, that's exactly. true, but yeah. that can be, that you can look and at that in two ways, can't you? And I, I just think democracies talk, put talk pressure on their, yeah. on their political exactly. leaders. So of all one can do is carry on talking about it and keep it in the public eye as much and as possible. stop traffic on Oxford Circus. You can do that yeah. too. Well, actually, we were saying, Toby, that lot, that got a lot of stick, the climate extinction stuff, but it did make people talk about Absolutely. it. I think they've had an enormous effect in yes. this country. I think it's been inc- they've been incredibly, incredibly effective. Yeah, I think that too. And actually, and, and also, they were very, very careful about being courteous and, you know, apart from sort of stopping traffic, they were completely kind of within the law and yeah. being very clear mm. to say, look, we're sorry about this. We don't want to do this. We're not just doing it for to be annoying we're doing it because we really feel this is important for everybody i guess the question is people shouldn't be taking these books and going on a plane and going on holiday because that's the other thing that's going to have to happen is everyone's going to have to stop start changing what they regard as basic requirements of life that you go on holiday somewhere hot once a year or twice a year because in the end, that's going to have to stop, I would imagine. Which is, again, why expanding Heathrow isn't something that should be happening. And instead, we should be putting our money into developing infrastructure that is greener, like yeah. trains. Yeah. I, was, the, I was reading something about um, someone saying what we need to do. And, that you know, the, the fear is that if um, someone goes, well, you can't, you know, you have to become, everyone's worried that you have to become vegan and never go anywhere and not have any children and all of that kind of thing. But actually the guy was saying, no, just cut back a bit. Yeah. <laughs> because if everybody does a bit less, I don't mean the children. Yes, I don't mean we're that. all, we've all done quite a lot of that in yeah. the past 30, 40 years. 
changed our habits in all sorts of ways. It doesn't and kill us to not have continue a to, you know, put yeah. the TLS in a compostable bag, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. The triumph that was. Right there, still a book for us? Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to position myself in customs and blow open a number of people's suitcases so that I can ferret through and select. I like the idea of that. So uh, I'm going to take... Uh, a number of people have mentioned Night Boat to Tangier by Kevin Barry, so I'm going to yep. take that one. Uh, I might take Marion Turner's Chaucer, A European Life. Which we review this week. Yes, which um, is set to help us to understand the grand puzzle of how a wine merchant's son came to write the Canterbury Tales. Yeah, That's and he, go, he goes to... He Milan, goes to, he was yeah. a diplomat in yeah, Milan. Lovely. Uh, so I'll take that as well. And then there was another one. Um, oh, I really like the sound of um, The Bells of Old Tokyo Travels in Japanese Time by Anna Sherman. Um, in part because I just think something strange happens to our concept of time in the summer. I, maybe because if you're away, certainly you spend, you're less aware of what time it is. You've not got your phone, you've not got your screen uh, with the time on it. You're not going to the station and looking at what time train you're getting. Stig's looking very and bemused. So you, yeah. so you, yeah. Imagine, imagine. Stig's in the dark so world yeah. You tell the time through other means, the sun church bells mm. all that sort of oh, thing oh that sounds so idyllic yeah mm. I'm not sure that's what you can do it you just put your phone down uh, anyone away with the children how much reading do you do in the summer so I've just been away with the children for a week and I have done very little reading <laughs> it's difficult <laughs> there were water slides to go on yes. why would you read <laughs> that was just when you. you can go yeah. on a water slide and on, they on. have to be old enough to play each other at cricket and then you're allowed to and then you're allowed to read well we're going to find out Toby will be lying about what he's going to read this summer because he's only going on water slides but we'll come to that next a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Now, before we move on to our books recommendations, we're going to keep things seasonal with some thoughts on the new A Midsummer Night's Dream at the Bridge Theatre in London because, Lucy Dallas, you sent me to it. I did to indeed. To review it, which I then did, and then you went to see it, which is nice when you've Just been... Just to check. 
that you. <laughs> it was suspiciously Lucy. I I, review, I I gave Lucy the review on Thursday, and she went at the weekend. Mm. Which I felt was like a sort of a fact-checking, fact-checking exercise. Yeah. She did find something as well. Absolutely <laughs> not fact-checking. I had booked it ages ago because I thought that I was interested in that show anyway. It's really good. I mean, uh, if people are in London over the summer, it's, it's on for quite a while, isn't it? It's on until the end of August, yeah. Yeah, so it's 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 such a good... Pro- so the Bridge Theatre has this amazing space where you can be a promenade member of the audience, which means you stand in the pit and the stage is uh, dis- it moves up and down uh, and it gets pushed around by, by people. So you're part of an audience that moves with the production. And this is a very funny, very irreverent version of Midsummer Night's Dream. And the clever little trick in it is that they switch around the roles of Oberon and Titania. So Puck is Titania's little sprite. And so that means Oberon falls in love with Bottom, not Titania. And so it leads to... It's part of this sort of whole chaotic, irreverent... Uh, things going on in the forest and it's funny and it's clever and we both really liked it didn't we really liked some people it. did not like it and some people uh, and i saw them because i was at the press night and they were sitting there nursing their warm wine and their paunches and uh looking a little disapproving i mean i, I mean i've seen quite a lot of midsummer night's dreams and they're all a bit irreverent because the nature of the play is pretty you know, it's jocular and it sort of messes around with concepts of of, of order, order and straightforwardness. But this one is pretty... Do you think it's fairly irreverent on the scale, Lucy? It, I mean, it is. I, I don't really mind about that. If it, if it works within the play, if it understands the play, you know, which this one deeply seems to... Or, you know, not that there's one way of understanding it, but it's um, it's very faithful, I think, to the spirit of the play and also to a lot of the letter. It just adds some gags, which seems perfectly legitimate because yeah. it's a funny play and I just thought the spirit of the whole thing was really nice and I mean I don't know how, how would you know this but it felt quite Shakespearean and it was very democratic and it's quite a young audience wasn't it you very say? young and audience. they seem to be enjoying it they were uh, totally totally up for I mean if you're it. a yeah. groundling and you should only do it I mean I think if you buy a ticket you should become a groundling you get dragged into it in a way that you know, I'm that not. A, I'm not an immer- look, Thea. <laughs> let me reassure you, I'm not someone who wants to get immersed at any stage. I don't want to be involved, and I could stand back back from that enough that it was still fun. But I'm not, you know, putting on a silly wig and <laughs> dancing about the place. They do do a caper. You know how at the Globe at the end of the plays they do capers. David, your your face indicates yes, how how I've seen the capers. Not good, is it? Well, it's particularly bad if you've seen a tragedy and, you know, Macbeth has ended. I saw a brilliant Macbeth at at the Globe a few years ago and feeling suitably gloomy and horrified. And then they started capering and I didn't know where to put myself. have a caper. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, that's, that's what because they did. I'm not an Elizabethan theatre goer. No, and so it works better in them as a comedy anyway, so you're not really shifting tone. The caper in this is really good. It's, a, it's an excellent cape. Yeah, <laughs> I won't. I won't ruin it in case anyone goes to see it. But I, I've sat there watching, you know, and they all they prance around. It's all very hey nonny. It's all a bit Disneyfication of Shakespeare. You think, oh, for God's sake! And there is that question, you know, with Greek tragedies when they put them on, they put three tragedies in a satire play, which was a comedy. They obviously like their mangling of genres uh, in the past, but maybe we're a bit more austere than that. I'm always struck by a few the puns in Shakespeare. I love a pun, as you know, but you know. In all of the tragedies, there are moments of sort of high-moving drama, which then immediately punctured by a, a bit of wordplay. 
you know, I think when Hot, even in like the history plays when Hotspur dies, I think someone said, "Well, he's now Cold Spur or something like that." Yes. And you think it's a bit, it's a bit sort of Roger that, Moore raising yeah. an eyebrow as, as he dispatches a baddie. <laughs> yeah, yes. is, that, is that the time for is that the time for for that Jason Tyson Jonicus? There's loads of of gags, and you think, well, obviously that was the taste that they had. But anyway, this is a comedy. It's funny, and the capering is good. And it's yeah, and it's directed. I think the sort of vision of it is Nick Heitner, isn't it? Um, and it just seems to me kind of brilliantly orchestrated and directed and all that. And, and a really, I would say, flawless cast. Right, books. What books? How do you want to do this? Shall we say the books we intend to take away or to read this summer? Ambition or reality? Yes, I mean, but with the caveat that having been away last week, I'm going to tell you about a book that I've already read. Fine, that's okay. I think <laughs> with someone who holidays as much as you, some of it is necessarily going to be in the past as much as the future. Well, yes. Right. Do you want more theory? Tell us what you read last week. Uh, okay. I know what you read last summer. <laughs> well, yes, because there's an audio record, <laughs> yeah, yeah, surely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I read Barbara Pym, Excellent Women. Ah, everyone, that, um, that keeps getting featured, doesn't novel. it? Well, Barbara Pym is obviously a favourite of the paper because... Philip Larkin in our much talked about underrated overrated uh, feature from the 60s was it? 77 77 from 1977 he mentioned Barbara Pym as uh, as underrated uh, and I'd never read Excellent Women which is her second novel and one of the most talked about ones actually uh, from 1952 and it's just this brilliant comedy of manners um, the, the perfect I think at the moment in particular I seem to be pining for a different sort of Britishness, which is the quiet, self-deprecating Britishness that we just don't see or hear of anymore. The Rory Stewart of um, novels. <laughs> and it's, I mean, the, I don't even the mean names, that. the names... <laughs> David, you look disapproving. I don't, I don't mean that, I'll take that back. Uh, the names are just fantastic in themselves. Mildred Laidbury is, is, uh, is the narrator, uh, a spinster who's only in her, 19th, in her 30s, um, Rockingham Napier, Everard Bone. It's just, it's just, it's just a series of anticlimaxes, delightful anticlimaxes. Is it, gen- it's, is it too it's gentle? So funny. It's very gentle, but it's so clever. It's so well studied. Basically, the title comes. The title is a phrase uh, that men uh, of the period used to refer to women who were very good at doing menial uh, but important things, like writing the indexes for for the male authors' books and, and things like that. Um, Quite right too. And it's just it's just very funny. Um, and uh, oh, and and uh, funnily enough, my husband was is reading Andrew Motion's at the same time as reading Andrew Motion's biography of Larkin. So there was a nice dovetailing going on as well. Uh, is, is, that the re- is that the the, the one, reissue? He's the reading one, the reissue, uh, and that caused a massive controversy, didn't it? Yes, this when is it where came he out. this is where he exposes Larkin. The real Larkin. The real Larkin. The not it? Teddy Bear Larkin. Um, so there's that, and then I was also dipping into Lavinia Greenlaw. Um, I think it, her most recent collection, The Built Moment, which is a it's a collection of poems about her father's. Um, slide into dementia uh, someone else mentioned that in, in, i think in, in, they mentioned her memoir yeah, somebody her mentioned memoir. her oh memoir. yeah uh, frida frida hughes lavinia greenlaw's the importance of music to girls yes yes uh seen through the the, the heady mix of extracts from her life from her first kiss to the birth of her first child as seen through the prism of music yeah and i suppose well in the built moment it's it's sort of seen through the prism of time or the passage our understanding of time and how her father sort of is retreating ever more into the present moment uh, as as Alzheimer's takes effect, so uh, dipping into that, which I'll continue to do uh, so you this read, summer. So you read poetry on holiday? 
Sometimes, yeah. yeah. Sometimes. Um, I wonder how common that is. It's well, not very, but it should be more common because it's jolly portable, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> there is also, and that. it's easy to it's easy to just do it for ten minutes rather than yeah. And yeah, yeah I, I do. You, do you find yourself taking lots of books on holiday? Well, I also took Milkman by Anna Burns, which I keep on sort of starting yeah. and then being distracted by, and I'm going to continue it because I'm abs- I'm really enjoying it. But I only got a couple of. Oh, 150 funny. pages in. It's very funny. It's very, it's very <laughs> yeah, wide. it is. It's really, and I saw her read from it at Hay as well, and at Hay Festival, um, and she reads her own work so well, which you can't say about every every author. No. Uh, but she just reads. She's so so funny. Um, so I'll continue with reading that. And today on the train, funnily enough, um, someone got on the train when I got on the train and started reading Milkman. And then at some stage, this woman got off. Uh, and the next time I looked up again, there was someone else sitting opposite me also reading Milkman by Anna Burns. Oh, Whoa. my God. Mm-hmm. It sold ext- extremely well. And it was um, when she won, there are a few sniffy things written about how it was a, you know, it was an unpopular choice and it wasn't going to sell. It's well. hard. I, I, wasn't it supposed it to be too hard? Too hard. Yeah. Yeah. Nonsense. It's Nonsense. Not, it's not Seems hard. to be selling it's very brilliant. well. And it is. It's, it's, in fact, it's selling a lot better than, for example, George Saunders's. Well, the last three or four haven't sold crazily well, have they? So this was kind of a moment where the booker of... yeah. Because also Irish novelists are hugely on trend at the moment. Mm, and the trouble's oh, yeah. also very, very pertinent. Yeah. Does anyone else take books around? Has anyone ever hoiked a book around that they've never ended up reading? Oh, God, I do that every year. I take yeah. too many books because I, I have this terror of, you know, finishing. Running out. Finishing, you know, I which, do. Which, of course, since I've had children is ludicrous. Yeah. I yeah. Barely finish one. But yeah, When you take sort of six. Yeah. Six with you. Has any you've never got around to that you've just always desperately wanted to, to take? I'm just trying to think if I've ever. I've I spent I spent about five years taking Pale Fire on holiday with me, and then I finally read it, and it's you know obviously extraordinary and brilliant. Yeah, that was that was one. That I, I isn't that because of a summer book? I mean, because that's the thing. How hard a book? How hard a book can you take? As I, I once read. Um, Damn hard. On, do you, do you go? Do well, you? Yeah, because because assuming that you've got some time to sit back or whatever, I I, I don't I don't really want to read a thriller on the beach. I want to really. Think. Well, does it depend on where you're going? No. You don't, don't want so. to read a thriller on the beach. No. You'd rather read. I'm, I, I know lots of people do, and that's yeah, yeah. I, I just, I don't, I I would, if I've got time to reflect and not not be in my normal world and thinking about work and emails and phone calls and all the rest of it, I actually want to be challenged. I think. So, really? what what are you taking? Yeah, what's what going to challenge you? you yeah. Well, actually, I've said that very high mindedly, but nothing, nothing <laughs> that challenging. Yeah. So, I've I've, I've, I've <laughs> yeah. Yeah. spice world asterisk actually. No, so like Thea, I've also recently been on holiday, and I had two books with me, neither of which I finished because, well, for, for, for aforementioned reasons, to do with small children. But they're both and water brilliant slides. and water slides. Absolutely. One is the Topeka School, or Topeka School, I don't know how to pronounce it, by Ben Lerner. It's Ben Lerner's new novel. It's not actually out here till uh, November, I think. Um, it's fantastic. Ben Lerner was mostly well-known as a poet until reasonably recently, and then he wrote the novel Leaving the Atocha Station and then 1002, both of which are fantastic. This is even better. Um, Paul Muldoon's probably read it. Yeah, I'm sure he has. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> he probably wrote it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, what, what sort of novel is this, then? It's... A, it's a, Learner writes autofiction. Um, I, I, I know that, that, that raises some eyebrows, but people don't always like autofiction, but he, do, he does it in a very clever and charming way. This is clearly semi-autobiographical. It's set in Kansas, where Lerner grew up. It's, it doesn't reinvent the wheel. It's a very charming book about family. Um, it's set amongst this community of psychotherapists. I'm married to a psychotherapist, so that intrigues me. Um, it's very funny. Um, it's about family dynamics. It's about betrayal and it's just very very well written 
the other book is Three Women by Lisa Tadeo. Ah, which we are extracting which in we the are Times extracting in a future two edition weeks. of the TLS. Two weeks. Um, I haven't finished this one partly because my wife stole it from me and then gave it to her friend. She said it wasn't for me. It's about female desire. I it's disagree with her. But it's 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 utterly brilliant. Um, she's that's a she's sign a, of a good book, isn't it? That, it is, yeah. that your wife not only stole it from you, <laughs> then gave, gave it, it to someone, someone else. else. Yeah. Um, it's so so she's she's this uh, she's a journalist Lisa today. It's her first book. She spent eight years with three different women, it's called Three Women, there are actually other women that he dropped out of her study, talking to them about sexual desire and about their lives. She was so immersed in, in these women's lives that she actually moved house to live near one of them and then another one of them. She, you know, eight years, it's, it's this incredibly well-written, fine-grained study. She actually started off writing about male desire but found that it was so boring to her and so so obvious that she just gave up um, which I think is quite funny and it's just it's just it's it's unlike anything I've I've ever read it's and been Ros, getting Rosdenine loves it Rosdenine loves it um, it's getting a lot of advanced praise it's not out I think till July um, there's been a little bit of criticism as well because it, it, it there ain't first there are only three women they're all white women there's no homosexual homosexuality in it it's all about straight white desire but it's I don't, for me, it's not pretending to be this enormously comprehensive yeah, encyclopedic yeah, exactly. study, and it's just it's just it's kind of a boring argument that it's, in, in I some think, ways. I, she's I written a book. This is the book yeah, she's written. Exactly. It's either a good book or a bad yeah, book. Yes, people are welcome to go and write different books and yeah. contribute to it. But as you know, as a contribution to a study of female desire, I think it is. And indeed, no doubt, the way that publishing works, if this book does well we will be drowning in a series of books that sound a bit like this, which could cover all sorts of topics, because that's how publishing works, isn't it? Someone does well, you then get five different versions of the same. Um, But David Horsepool, do you read history on holiday? I tend to quite a lot. Do you? I mean, I also read novels on holiday. Uh, Yeah, my last holiday, I read A Bridge Too Far by Cornelius Ryan. Um, Cornelius Ryan uh, was an Irish uh, journalist turned historian who became obsessed with uh, American military exploits and wrote A Bridge Too Far about the Arnhem campaign. And he also wrote The Longest Day about D-Day. So he wrote the two books on which two of my favourite war films are based. And A Bridge Too Far, he wrote in the last year of his life, battling cancer, and he didn't take his painkillers so that he could write it. And it's an incredible book actually and it's more extraordinary than some of the episodes in the film which are sort of slightly unbelievable the kind of a uh, man who carries around an umbrella because he can't true, remember that, the password. That, that's it's true. absolutely true. I wrote about him in my book because he, he said he said I've got a, he's had carried an umbrella and someone said there's guns out there. He goes, don't worry. I don't have a gun, I've got an umbrella. And then yes. he attacked a tank, I believe, with he his also, umbrella, well, yes. and he rammed it through the slit and killed someone. Yes, he did <laughs> with do with that. His umbrella. And yes, he, he crossed a road with a padre, and uh, they were under fire, and he said, um, it's all right, I've got an umbrella. And then he, in fact, in the film he dies, but in reality he was captured um, and escaped. And during his escape across Holland, he helped some... Uh, Wehrmacht soldiers get their jeep out of a a ditch or something and just pretended to be a a mute Dutch farm worker or something and they didn't question him and then he walked on him. He was the most extraordinary character. But anyway, um, that was one Cornelius Ryan Weisshart or something like that? I have written about it. It it is. Anyway, it's full of stories like that and I'm sure that Longest Day will be too. It's probably not the 
best history of D-Day now available because there are plenty of others Much coming out. Much loved the James Holland, James Holland um, and Auntie Beaver's written about it. There's a big book by Peter Caddy Adams. There are all sorts. But I won't be reading, I probably won't be reading those. The one I'm probably going to take on holiday is um, a book by Charles Emerson called Crucible, the new long end of the Great War and the birth of a new world, 1917 to 1924, which makes it sound incredibly boring, but actually what it is is a sort of mass diary of an age of 1917 to 24 in short bursts um, going all around the world. And everybody from Einstein to Mussolini is in it and Tristan Zara and uh, just small extracts, maybe a page or two That's or a, a few idea, paragraphs. And he he's done it a bit before he did it with 1913 and um, our reviewer Jay Winter liked that very much. Um, and it just strikes me as extremely readable and dip into a bull uh so i'm if that's a word so i'm looking forward to that that sounds really good what a good idea what a good and the idea of world history is kind of trendy now isn't it that absolutely you, that there aren't this criticism yeah. of three women the narrowness that seems to be something that people try and avoid at all costs don't they that if you're going to yeah do... people broaden out i mean of course there's also the kind of narrow there's a there's a book coming out which i've just um found a reviewer for about the uh, Lyons family um, of the tea shops and so on. And they're a great uh, uh, Jewish immigrant family who um, their connection with English history from the 19th century up to the 50s and 60s. And it's told by Thomas Harding, who's a descendant of theirs. And it looks really fascinating. That book so that's kind of Legacy. a hyper-local. Uh, Lucy, yeah. go on. You're a big reader. Uh, yes, yes. I mean, I am. I've got, there's, there's a book that I own and a book that I'd be interested in. The book that I own is one that I bought in a really nice independent bookshop in Edinburgh, uh, and I was just looking around. And it's it's um, it's it's graphic novels. I'm going to just get it out there first, or comics. You could no say comics. No one objects to comics here. Okay, I don't checking. read them. Although I tried because I read Watchmen, mm. and I've worked out that my this is not a criticism of graphic novels. I think my brain doesn't process information in panels in the same way it does in words on the page. So I find it quite hard to follow the narrative thread of comics to know who people are. My brain doesn't, it doesn't click. Whereas if I read a page of narrative, mm. uh, and I, I remember people, I was tweeting about it, and people have said the same thing. I think there's some, you have a brain that responds to comics or doesn't. It's not necessarily, it's not a snobbish thing. It's a kind mm. of how your brain processes information. I don't have a very visual brain, I don't think. Well, I've read a lot of comics. So you so know, maybe, you, I don't know. Maybe you've taught yourself. What's, what's this great? This novel? one is it's 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 the I think the latest instalment in a series called Love and Rockets, which I have loved since for a long time. Let's just say for a long time. It's been it's this it, is it's a series. It's two brothers, the Hernandez brothers, and um, one of them follows the, a set of people in um, California. They're in a kind of barrio. Um, and they're, they're, they're sort of they, they speak a bit. They're his, it's a Hispanic um, community. They, it's mostly in English, but they do a bit of Spanish. And it's just following. There's there's two main characters, two women called Maggie and Hopi, and it's a bit science fiction and funny and silly sometimes. And then sometimes it's quite serious and it's about family and relationships. And he's carried on with these same characters, so they're middle-aged women now. Um, but and it's just I haven't read any for quite a while, and this is this is one that's just out, and I pounced on it, um, and I'm just really looking forward to it because I do feel it's just very very good storytelling. It's nice when you get a continuing series. Of well, course, you've sort of grown up with them mm. in a sense. 
Yeah, I like them. I've been a mechanic on uh, space rockets. <laughs> you know that sort For of thing. Yeah, been in a, in a very you. influential punk band. You know that that That's kind of thing. That's almost true, actually. But it's really not true. Well, you were you were in a non-influential indie band. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. <laughs> um, but the other one is, That's and the true, other one it? is. Um, it's better than no band at all, Lucy. Yeah. Let's say yes, yes, it is. The other one is there's a new book by Laurent Binet who wrote The Seventh Function of Language uh. and Ash, 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 Ash. Um, and it's going to be called Civilisation, which, you know. Needs no translation. <laughs> there we go. It's not out till August. Uh, and it seems to be a kind of counterfactual. And you love Bino, don't you? I do love him. Yes, I do. The Seventh Function of Language I thought was cracking. Which was about Barth and the. And yes, it was kind of hijinks. Uh, uh, being run over by an ambulance, sort of. Is that a dairy, bread, bread van? Bread van. Dairy bread van. van. Sorry, I want to say bread van. I thought it was uh, dairy. Gaudi, but I'm not, or laundry. Was, was, was run over by a van anyway. Containing oh, no, some a tram. Sorry, Gaudi was run over by a tram. There's a okay. piece in that. Authors and their vehicular accidents. But this one, I think, is 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 kind of world spanning and sounds sounds a bit more serious. Does it contain real historical personages like his previous fiction? Do we know? I think so. It's a sort of counterfactual. It looks as though it's, it looks as though the kind of um, Incas, the Incas, are going to invade Europe, oh, and it's yeah. kind of what would have happened. Did that happen, David Horsfall? It did not it? happen. Gibbon speculated about if the um, the Muslim invasions had carried on up to the, the uh, be- up, up to and beyond Paris and up up the Cam and so on. Um, uh, did he? Yeah. Because he stopped. Because he stops in the decline and fall with the rise of, of the Mongol, Mongols and Genghis yes, Khan. Yes, goes that. on and on and on. But yeah, it, I don't think the Incas ever yeah. made it. Well, that sounds very good. Uh, we are running out of time, so I wouldn't do my except to say I'm because I'm writing this book on what to read on the commute. So I'm reading different types of books. So each month I do a different type of book. So I'm reading plays at the minute, but next month I'm doing comic fiction, and I'm going to read Love in a Cold Climate. By Nancy Mitford, which I've never One read. One of the greats. I just started Diary of a Nobody. Are you enjoying uh, it? Which, yeah, by Grossmith. absolutely love. Po- that's Pooter, isn't it? Pooter, the Grossmiths. Yeah, uh, I, I would thought that would be brilliant commuter fiction. I think um, it's quite a lot. My list of I was talking to Lisa about my list of comic fiction. There is some quite good, good but you made me read one which I didn't enjoy, which was the, which one? Uh, any fool know the thing these people who say oh, yeah. uh, the cartoon. Oh, Molesworth. Molesworth. <sighs> I can't really believe get, you didn't enjoy Molesworth. I didn't really get Molesworth. Like Molesworth. It's, da- it's dated a little bit. Do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, some of it's in... You have to know, yes, quite a bit of it's in Latin. But you don't have to know Latin. No, exactly. No, no. I, I thought it was fine, but not funny. But I've I, I never read Love in the Cold Climate, so I'm going to read that, and I'm going to reread a Confederacy of I was, I was about to ask you if you have Confederacy yeah. Have you read it? Yes, it is so brilliant. Yeah. And so sad in lots of because he died after... He killed yeah. himself, didn't he, before yeah. publication. His mum got it published. Yeah. And it's I can, his only novel, isn't it? It's his only it's novel, and I can only... What's the name of the character? I can't remember the character. Augustus or something like that. Oh, is, yes. Uh, oh, God, what's he called? It's a funny name. Anyway, have you read it? Yes, I don't remember it being terribly funny, oh, though. I mean, I thought it was very good. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. I'm really it's looking forward to... It's quite gross. Yeah, I quite, it's one of those books that I've only read once, and I think yeah. rereading... There's re- books that you read, I read it hundreds of times, but there's a book where you just think, I, I can't quite grasp it in my mind. I can see the cover. I can remember reading John it. Kennedy O'Toole, John Kennedy O'Toole. John Kennedy O'Toole, and it was... Uh, I read it when There's I was 18. Lots of funny stuff about working in a very dreary office doing very pointless tasks. Well, and there's that there's that question of what's the best office novel because there's things like Something Change which is Joseph Heller's great office novel which he wrote after Catch 22. Oh, that's a brilliant novel. That, brilliant, yeah. horrible, yes. but fu- but the bits before it gets horrible are really funny about working in an office. 
Bartleby the Scrivener, of course. Is Joshua a, Ferris wrote quite a good one. Yeah, yeah very good, yeah. Joshua Ferris. Maybe that's a good thing great. to read in the summer when you when you escape yeah. your read office. Read about the office? <laughs> Come on. It's like when you dream about the office and you yeah. wake up and then like you have to go to work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> book about working in a newspaper office. Oh, it's towards, the, towards, towards the, the end of the morning. morning. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Um, finally, to loop the loop, it's Ignatius J. Riley. Ignatius. Ignatius. Well done, Thea. Yes. Um, it's a really good book, and, well, I hope it is. I read it for the first time not that long ago, maybe five or six years ago, and I loved it. So, oh, yeah, I'd be interested to know if you think it's... Fine. I will, I will report back. I will report back. That, we've run out of time. Uh, I mean, that was a pretty wide range of summer books, bit of history, I, bit of graphic novel. I'm going to pitch a follow-up to your book, which is holiday reading. Yes. In which someone will have to commission me to go on various holidays and find... <laughs> How can we find tell? The I don't think you need that sort of encouragement. Do you know what though? I do. No, I need the banker. The then you really would be a professional though. vacationer. What exactly? That'd be absolutely brilliant. And also, I do like contextual reading. You've I was saying, created this monster. I, yeah, but context. <laughs> re- I know you like reading books. So that's why I took when I went on holiday to Sussex. This is a bit of a stretch by the sea. I took Jaws. So I was saying that, and you hear the sort of wash of the waves, and you read a bit of George. <laughs> the wash of the taken the waves. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I tell you what, I, I remember vividly reading Our Mutual Friend, Dickens's last completed novel, which is about the Thames in a very wet, miserable, wintry time. I used to live by the Thames, and I remember reading that and travelling to work, miserable rain, and reading Dickens. And the context definitely made. I, I, that, I, that's my favourite Dickens book, and I went out because I read it in exactly the right place to read it. So there may be a book there for There's you. There's a book in it for me. You could go to a, you know read Thomas Mann in a <laughs> sanatorium think, no, somewhere. Maybe it should be a theme park, and you have a different series of rooms where you read Bleak House in a kind of ruined mm. mansion. Or a hotel, maybe. And yeah. Then, yeah. yeah. Toby could do some reading a on a hotel, water slide. Maybe. <laughs> But it'd have to what be book would you, like a much yeah. smaller budget. Yeah. <laughs> what that was book? a huge budget. Yeah. All right, all right. Thea, we'll work on that. You'll become next Publishers, year. Publishers, do drop me a line. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm ready. Thea is available. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you to everyone who's contributed to the entire perplexity of TNS editors. Disparagement's probably better. Toby, Lucy and David do get subscribing to the paper. This week is a good one. We've got a rereading of John Fowles. French Lieutenant's woman. British radio face palmer James O'Brien looks at the Corbyn Labour Party. Neil Gaiman picks his favourite SF novel of the last 50 years, which, Lucy, you've read. I read it because of because of this. I read it for Workstig, imagine. Oh, my God. Did you enjoy it? What's it called? I really did. It's called The Book of New Earth, isn't it? Oh, no, the first one's called The... Um, the Book of the, the New Sun. The, but it's about the torturer. The first one is called The Shadow of the Torturer. Oh, my God. It's a series by Jean Wolfe. Yeah, it's really... Deep, knotty. Some of it's absolutely brilliant, yeah. and some of it's a bit mystifying. But I think that's probably my uh, fault rather than his. It's his, it's very, very rich, brilliant stuff. And Which Neil, is the point that Neil Gaiman makes in the piece as well, isn't it? How how you sort of have to come back to it, older and wiser, almost, or older and different. I'm old. I mean, I don't know about the rest of it. <laughs> older and different, anyway. Well, yeah, it's a really interesting piece. Yeah, it's, it's, there's a reissue of this book called "The Book of the New Sun" by Gene Wolfe. So that's, that's well worth uh, reading. Next week, Thea has written the lead essay in the paper about the art of the gesture. Let's see how well that translates into an audio product like this podcast. Until then, from Thea and from me, goodbye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.